I leaned on going towards the acquisition of the building for a long-term play, for my family's financial future, for the next generations. Perhaps we can pass on something meaningful. Businesses come and go, you know, as blessed as we are and as busy as we are, things like that fade. So I really wanted to make sure that we had some kind of an asset that appreciated and that my family could use, that we would have uh, financial security. Welcome to the Performance Mindset Podcast, and I'm your host, Amy Calandrina with Beyond Commercial. After a decade of providing expert commercial real estate advice and consultation to business owners and investors, I wanted to share some of the most inspiring and influential leaders I've met along the way. The goal of this podcast is to share valuable insights from these impactful individuals, as well as business and commercial real estate trends. If you want to grow, you're tuning into the right show. Today, I'm excited to have Mike, co-owner of Mosaic Hair Studio. He is an entrepreneur, master stylist, and political activist. Mike and Kiri opened their first salon in June 2004. They operated in Ivanhoe Row, where Refresh has also joined them today. Doing the strategy allowed them to build equity to unlock later for future expansion rather than the profits escaping into someone else's pocket. So in 2011 is when I first met Mike after actually I got a gift certificate from a local charity silent auction, and he was just getting ready to expand. Years later, he let me know he was ready for another location, and we were able to find an opportunity in the heart of Orlando's Milk District. And now, as of just a week ago, he's closed on another location, and this one is going to have some redevelopment to it. So very exciting stuff. Welcome to the show, Mike. Well, I thank you so much, Amy. Thank you so much for that little uh, trip down memory lane. I really appreciate it. Um, you know, when my wife and I think about it, every once in a while, we do have to pinch ourselves as to kind of where we started and how we got here. You know, so it's been a hell of a hell of a journey, a, a big learning lesson. And we look forward to seeing what we can do with the third location and kind of go from there. So thanks for the intro. Yeah, I, I just noticed over time, I think your strategy was great in that you were able to tap into that equity to keep building incrementally and you've been able to do something bigger and bigger every time. That's amazing. But let's start from the beginning. How did you get into the business? You know, I kind of got into hair because I needed to get my act together. I was actually previously, I was a maitre d' sommelier, a couple of great restaurants in the Orlando area. Uh, but I've, I've always had a strong will to kind of do my own, be my own boss. I am probably the world's worst employee. But so I have always had that knack and I tried several times throughout my my early 20s to get something going. Never did. I had a girlfriend at the time going to beauty school and because I didn't start work until more in the late afternoon, evening. I used to bring a lunch all the time. And literally the teacher just, you know, the lady on the school knew I could afford the tuition and she literally kind of just talked me into it. But there were a few things that really about it that kind of stuck with me. And I had recently had done a like a personality profile because I was really kind of struggling as to uh, what direction. You know, I had taken this personality profile and it said I need to work with my hands, work with people on a short time span. So that's exactly kind of what hair does for me. Right, I get to be creative. I get to work with my hands. 
I get to work with people one-on-one. And, you know, after a couple of hours, I'm moving on. It's somebody else's turn. So a lot of boxes ch- ticked off for me. And, you know, I was just fortunate enough to meet my wife also in the industry. And we kind of, and we, that's how we kind of got started. That's, that's incredible. And so you first worked for someone else then within the industry, and then you broke up, broke off on your own. Right. So my wife introduced me to someone that was in the industry and I was his assistant. He's now a fabulous gentleman. He's no longer in the area. His name is Michael Carducci. And I was his personal assistant. I was kind of uh, studying under him, learning from him for about, I would say probably nine months to a year or so. And then from there, I rented a chair. So a lot of stylists are kind of independent contractors. I was a booth renter, kind of what the term is called in the industry. I rented a chair from that salon. Actually, I worked out a deal with the owner of that salon where she would give me cheap rent if I would just fix stuff around the building, (laughs) which I did. So I I think there's a little mini lesson there. There's always some version of value you can give. It doesn't always have to be cash. You know, so I, I, and that's a guy I did a bunch of, I fixed a bunch of stuff in her salon and I had the space to start my business. And so I started growing from there. I moved to a different salon. And about after about three, four years of booth renting, uh, my wife and I purchased our first location there on the Virginia Drive. That's amazing. It's a beautiful, beautiful spot. I remember you only had maybe three or four chairs at the time. And funny, funny story. For those of you who've never seen Mike's location over in Orlando, he had an apartment, which is now an Airbnb above the immediate location. Small world. One of my really good friends happened to live up there (laughs) and then was also friends with with Mike as well. But what I was going to, to say about that was, so when did you get your first person to also join in that in that location? Well, you know, that location there, that, that first building we bought there on Virginia Drive, well, actually, the way we purchased it was kind of just really unique. So we had just bought, my wife and I, a home in that neighborhood. And oh. I used to take my dog running all, you know, all the time. And I had seen the building and it used to be called Richard's Hair World little old lady shop. And I had noticed it. And I said, you know, that'd make a great salon. It needed that building needed, speaking of TLC, needed a lot of work. The old man had let it kind of run down over the years. Uh, and it was, you know, it was a bit, it was really showing its age. And one day he happened to have been, he was on the front steps of the building, sweeping the steps. And I was, I, had, I was just walking past it with a dog and I approached him I said, you know, I'm a hairstylist as well in the Winter Park area. If you ever have any inclination to sell your building, you know, I'd be I'd like to have that conversation. And that really opened up the door. So me just approaching him opened up the door. That conversation lasted about a year and a half. A couple of times he got he was real skittish. He was very nervous. But we were able to cut a deal where he still worked in the building for free. And there was just enough space for him, my wife and I. So her and I, we we each had a a nice clientele. And so that's kind of how we got started there. My relationship with Richard was fine for about the first five years. He, you know, he had put in that, you know, he was the the note holder on that. We had put some money down, some money that I actually uh, borrowed from my mother-in-law. 
So that's kind of, that was our seed money there. So we, we put some money down. We bought the building from him with the, the deal that he could still work there. Now I had seen his books and his clientele and I'm telling you, it was little old ladies. I'm like, you know, he's going to take the money. He might work a couple more years and then just peace out and move on. That didn't happen. Oh no. No, what did happen was that he stayed full five years and there was a five-year prepayment penalty. I couldn't refinance. And he was making, I think, eight points or nine points at the time. You know, so you know that the cost the barrier to entry was was kind of high, or I should say the initial cost was kind of high for me. But you know, we got started. Our relationship soured after the five years because he was upset that I refinanced. Of course, I got a much better rate. You know, we, we refinanced and paid him off. And then when it really kind of soured from there, he, he stayed another year or two. And when we opened up, when we purchased a building next door there, that is now 541 Virginia Drive, which was a larger uh, Florida style, uh, you know, cracker style house. I was going to honor my agreement of giving him a, spa- a station to work. He didn't want to move. There was a lot of brouhaha. You know, attorneys got involved. And in the end, really, I paid him five thousand dollars. And he went away. So we ended up that agreement. You know, looking back, was it the perfect agreement? Certainly not. There was a little bit of chaos, but he got us started. So would I do it over again? Yes. Maybe I would have been a by then be a better negotiator. But you know, we got the ball rolling, we got the property going, and then we started hiring. You know, initially Colleen was my first one, then Megan and a few others, employees that are still with me today. And we made a distinction early on that we did not want to rent out space like other salons, like a majority of the salons. I wanted everyone to be an actual employee, which in our industry is not the most common method of setting it up. And I wanted to do that because I wanted to be really 100% in control. I wanted to be in control of our brand. I wanted to be in control of quality of work. And in the end, you just make more money that way. You just make more money. And so we had invested a lot of time, effort. Um, we wanted to pay that, you know, have that pay off financially. Yeah. It seems to to me that you're also able to, with, with that model, there's a mutual benefit too, because you're able to really become more of the marketer and, and grower of it and be able to provide great opportunities. And what, what I see is almost like in, in a sports team is you're, you're able to bring people up it from one position to another position to another position. And there's much more growth opportunities and in, in pro- provide that to style, which, which that actually leads me, I was going to say, what do you believe set, sets you apart from the other stylists other than the way in which you, you structure your employment? You know, staff members, when they first join us, you know, when I've hired, well, I no longer hire now stylists with a book. I don't need to hire anyone with a book. But when people join us, they're always surprised how busy they are right off the bat, right? It's because years of, uh, you know, layer upon layer of marketing that we've done, uh, community outreach, you know, like that, little things like that gift card you mentioned early on. You, of course, SEO, you know, reviews are a huge driver of business. But none of that happened overnight, but we were very, very focused and dedicated and committed to, to building it that way, to building a great, uh, good name in the community, trying to give outstanding customer service, re- referral reward programs for clients, and really kind of building it brick by brick. 
So if I said what's what's a huge differentiator, you know, there's a lot of there's a bunch of fabulous salons in the Orlando area. But I think this differentiator is I would hope our customer service stands out a little bit above the rest and that on the employer employee side that we've been able to build a really, really strong team that feels like they can grow with us to whatever level that they're comfortable with, that they can create and craft the kind of work and work-life balance that they want and that they're making the kind of money or more money than they ever thought possible. Sounds like a win-win. That's my favorite. It's one of my favorite phrases. Yeah. You know, and I, I've seen it being coming to this lawn. I, uh, Mike was my stylist forever and just being entrepreneurs, being able to share so many great thoughts is one reason I wanted to have him on the show today, but I've even, you know, I like to come in at like eight, eight thirty now on days that he doesn't work. <laughs> so, cause you're only down to two days a week now, Mike. Yeah. And I'm, I'm having to, re- you know, I'm first kind of conflicted. I love the craft of, uh, of doing hair, but I also love growing the business. And as we move into the third location, I've had to cut back. I will always be somehow a little bit behind the chair, kind of doing the work itself, you know, 10, 15 hours a week around there. Uh, but I can't commit to any more because there are days that I really feel stretched between growing the business and brand and then, of course, doing the work itself. Uh, but I still love I'm deeply passionate about the work we do. How do you how do you stay motivated? Because I, I would assume that you've had probably, you know, some setbacks, some that we've already talked about. But, you know, what what keeps you which what keeps you motivated? Man, I'm. I feel my wife and I both feel ridiculously blessed. We got to this part that we're that we're here now, and it's all gravy from here on end. You know, and I do love a good challenge. I never could have thought that I'd I'd be, you know, that our third location would be a redevelopment kind of deal. Uh, But it's always been we've built upon previous successes, small incremental previous successes that we keep building upon, and I find that especially motivating. I come from a line of entrepreneurs, my brother, my dad, my, well, my, all my, my parents are entrepre- were entrepreneurial. So it's it kind of innate and I just love the challenge. But I do, you know, I, I love a great challenge of, uh, of building what we've got and building upon it and seeing my staff succeed. You know, so not only do we now see stylists who never thought they could make it in the industry, you know, when they buy a home, I take a, I, I'm hugely proud of that, that they've been able to kind of make that kind of money. And now, you know, our model is that if you are ready and, if, you know, if I feel like the person is 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 ready, you know, we've got a business model now where you can be your own salon owner and I, I, we can help you get there. So that's that's, I think, something that's really unique that we've created. That, and that's, that's incredible. Ready. I mean, you know, when you think about it, having you, you you speak about it almost seems that, you know, the the old way of operating, you know, salons can be a bit more transactional and more, you know, versus you've really built a relationship and you've helped them to to build their own, you know, business within your business. And right. Yeah. And so, you know, I had years ago, I had always thought I'm like, why are there no high-end salons that are, I'm not going to say chains, but multi-location? And they're very, very few. Now, that might be a famous hair, hairdresser who's got a shop in LA and a shop in New York, you know, but he's not, re- he, he's not really the front. He's not the, the pe- person backing it. 
you've got a famous name. You know, Ted Gibson is one. There's a few other great hairdressers in, uh, in our, you know, that have a couple of locations. And they might fly back and forth. So the celebrity stylists have maybe. A, but I haven't seen on a large scale salons or, or a higher end salon that is multi-location. And I've always wondered, and then I kind of looked at the restaurant industry where they have the chefs or managing partners. And I know, you know, the largest law firm in the air, in the country, Morgan & Morgan, one of his top marketing people came in. And years ago, I, I was just asking her questions on how did he get started? And he basically, I kind of basically copied his model. You know, you want to take a, take a rainmaker or someone that is really, really good and pop them in their own office. So I... I think that's, I mean, there's only so much you can do. You need to trust people and you need to find fantastic talent and uh, let, uh, let them unleash that talent in another area. Uh, that's that's amazing. Yeah. And to take something from a completely different industry and then apply it to to yours, it, it it's panning out. <laughs> so right. what is like your typical day? Like I know you said you're in your location, one of your locations one day a week, but like what is your typical flow? I try to, I do, you know, let's say on a day I'm not behind the chair, but the days I am behind the chair, it's really, it's all about the, the client. The days I'm not behind the chair, it's, it's a good 20, 20 to 30% paperwork. You know, we're talking accounting. I, I just finished up payroll now. I still, you know, I do all that, all the financials. So that's a big chunk of that. The other big chunk is marketing and managing, you know, making sure, you know, responding to reviews posting pictures, you know, our industry is all about pictures, you know, on, on social media, Instagram. And then the other part is training, training brand new people. I try to do a lot of one-on-ones with younger stylists, staff members, helping them get comfortable working behind the chair, you know, teaching or training my front desk on kind of reviewing all the systems we have in place. One of my absolute favorite books years ago, even before I knew I was ever going to be a business owner, was the e-myth by Michael Gerber. You know, and he talked about, you know, being able to train a monkey to do what what the, the systems that you have in place. And I'm a big, big believer in systems. You know, and when you, as you grow, you really need to always kind of go back to the basics and make sure that the new members, new team members, front desk people are following the systems, you know, that everyone is constantly on board. So the whole process moves forward. Absolutely. Yeah, I think you had an interesting story about this, but how did you come up with the name for your company? And my wife and I were driving, I think, well, on location. And when we were thinking about, you know, what uh, does hair, beauty, kind of the whole beauty industry in its broader sense mean? And, you know, we said it's really about putting the pieces together. And I'm like, kind of like a mosaic. And that's kind of how we came up. And I knew both my wife and I vehemently agreed that we were not going to name business after one of us. Yeah. It just, you know, I feel like that limits you, you know, yeah. I, I, that and my last name not exactly doesn't exactly ring off the off anyone's tongue. So it just I feel like that is it's not about us. It's not about Kiri or Mike. You know, it's about the client. And so I definitely didn't want the my name or our name on the salon. I want it to be about the client. And I really do think, you know, kind of beauty is uh, putting all the pieces together. So you're now on your third location, which is a redevelopment opportunity. Do you think that you would be where you're at today if you had, instead of 
buying your first location, but you had leased it instead, do you think that it would have been at the same pace or you'd had the same success? You know, that's a, that's a great question. I think, I think you, I need to break that down probably into two parts. Yeah. Well, so I, the, the first part is, would I have been able to build the business to this level? I, I think so. I think we would have been fine. We would have, you know, if I taking this model, but using a leasing space, I think we would have, I might've actually have grown a little bit faster because there's a lot less capital required, right? So you can sign a lease and whatnot. And, you know, you only need to do a build out. You don't need to buy the thing. So I think we would have been here if maybe not a little bit larger, but there's a big, but right. I always wanted to keep in mind an exit strategy. We literally, we, once we kind of saw that we had something and we were moving towards something, an exit strategy for me is real, was real important, you know, and that's why I leaned on kind of going towards the, the acquisition of the building side. Obviously, you know, we do like what a lot of people do. You know, you've got the business inside is one business. The, then you've got a separate entity that owns the building and whatnot. I just love owning buildings, really. I think that's for a long-term play for my family's fam- financial future for our, you know, for the next generations, perhaps we can pass on something meaningful, you know, and and businesses come and go, you know, as blessed as we are and as busy as we are, you know, things fade, things like that fade. So I really wanted to make sure that we had some kind of an asset that appreciated and that my family could use that we would have uh, financial security. Excellent. So you're really into business I know you study it a, a, a lot, all the different aspects of it, but anybody that is looking to get into owning their own business, is there any advice that you would give them? Like what would be like one or two pieces of advice that you'd give them? You know, I think, first of all, you got to know, you got to know the business you're in. I have met so many salon owners who are not hairstylists, who are struggling and then they end up folding, you know, they end up, you know, it's some some doctor's wife that want you know he's like he he's keeping her busy by buying either a tanning salon a hair salon or a gym I, I mean I'm kind of being a little bit facetious but it's really it's somebody somebody who's making a lot of money he wants to keep his wife busy and so they buy him they buy her a a, a business she has no idea of course she thinks it's going to be all champagne and cocaine and her friends will come in. And, <laughs> And her friends will come in. We're all going to get blowouts. It's going to be great. It's going to be fun. You're going to love it. It's a business. So you have to know the actual craft of being, of, you know, of doing the work itself. It'd be, it'd be just as foolish if I opened up a plumbing, a plumbing contractor. I mean, I know nothing about plumbing. You know, if you don't know the craft that you're selling, the service that you're selling or the product or whatnot, but I'm going to stick on the service side. If you don't know the service side of the business, you have no business being in the business. You have to have to know the service side. You have to be able to do it, walk to walk and talk to talk. You know, my wife and I are both hairdressers. Uh, so I think that is really, really important. And then I think the second step is figuring out your systems, get them in place and grow slow, you know, methodically, but slowly. You know, you're better off, I think, growing slower than growing too fast. I always remember reading somewhere. I don't know, remember where. I always quote probably the Wall Street Journal. 
you know, one of the top reasons businesses go out of business is, you know, one is obviously lack of sales. Yeah. But I think uh, the number two or three was they were taking on too much debt. And the moment that they couldn't service that debt, well, then you're then you're done. So you're better off building it slowly, methodically, step by step, brick by brick. And so don't get over overextended. You know, in the service industry, one of the big fears of a lot of uh, people who have uh, service businesses is that your employees are going to go, you know, and in the salon is called a walkout. You know, your staff decide one of your staff members maybe decides to open up their own salon somewhere. And, you know, and they they spit, they spin a good uh, tail. Half your staff goes to that new salon. All of a sudden your revenue's cut in half or, you know, same thing with, you know, I would imagine AC contractors, plumbers, electricians. You know, you really need to have a fantastic relationship with your staff. They need to feel that they're being listened to, that they're growing. You've got to invest in your staff in the service industry. And, and I feel like one of the reasons we actually have that carrot, right, for if you want your own salon, I totally get it. There's no reason to leave us is a speech I give to the staff members. Like, I, I get why you want your own business. Let me let's work together on that. Um, yeah. I think a lot of service industries really fail to offer that carrot. If you have someone that is an exceptional technician, they're putting their time and effort into it and you see that there's value in investing in them and training them on the business end of it, man, you've got yourself a partner for life if you set it up correctly. And I think too many service businesses are short-sighted. They want to keep the top performers down, you know, because if they see the revenue that they make and they're not seeing the bigger picture that that person could be, be opening up a basically kind of like a franchise model for you and you could be making even more money. Well, I see it even in my my industry that that is the the way in which most even most real estate brokerages operate is in bringing in these new agents and then just kind of throwing them to the wolves and hoping so, you know something sticks and extracting as much possible money be, from them until they you know peter out. And, yeah, it's um, very short term thinking. Yeah. Instead, to think of, you know, I'd like really like to see what you've done with with your even just a hair salon and questioning the way things have done before to, to think that other service industries, not just salons, could consider that type of thinking, which I think I'm just noticing the, the newer generations. That's something that is of incredible value to them. There's been, you know, a shift in, in the importance and ideals for. And I think COVID actually sped that up. I think, you know, we saw the fastest rise in people wanting to be their own boss during COVID. I think one of the great resignations, you know, that we've seen here, all these people quitting is because I think they'll want to kind of do it on their own. I think COVID was a big mind shift in that. And I think uh, business owners, if you're going to be dealing with younger staff members, you know, you've got to give them ultimate flexibility on their scheduling Mm-hmm. I think that's really, really, you cannot be rigid. You cannot be rigid. So you have to have ultimate flexibility on your scheduling, on the time that they work, you know, and you've got to, for those that want it, because not everybody wants it, but for those that want it and they're thinking, you know, I, I'd like to, I'd like to, you know, be a salon owner one day or be a business owner one day. You got to keep that conversation going. That's a huge asset for you. Don't let that person leave. Team up, team up. 
that's incredible. And like you said, I, I can't think of any other high-end concepts like yours that have done that. When you were at the forefront too, as far as uh, having blowout bars back before they were, you know, were a thing in Orlando. Um, so. I remember reading that, reading about the dry bar in, in like Vanity Fair years ago. And I was like, this is the stupidest idea ever. I mean, salons have been drying here for as long as I can remember. I said, and I literally said to my wife, I said, fine, we're going to call ourselves a blowout bar too. So that's how we added on there, you know, Mosaic Hair Studio and blowout bar. And we just started marketing it like that. So we were the first ones in Orlando. And there's definitely an advantage sometimes to being the first on something, you know. So when people started uh, searching blowout bars, you know, our name popped up. Ah, that's amazing. So what are your future plans or anything else you'd like to share? You know, I think I really wanted to, I really would love when, when business owners, when I kind of get together with them and we kind of talk, talk shop, regardless of whatever industry they're in. I think it's important that they, if they fail, I feel like sometimes it's they're failing because they don't, they fail to trust. You know, you if you're going to be working with people and you, you've got, they've got to, they've got to trust you as the owner that you've got their back. And you've got to trust them as the service provider that, you know, that they're going to do, do fine. And if they mess up, you know, it's everything is a learning lesson. I think that if trust isn't built in a business and if it doesn't go both ways, I think that's very, that's a huge, huge red flag and a downward pressure on up on what could be. I agree. And I think it, from what I've seen is I've worked with hundreds of of business owners sometimes is, and it even has to do with, with vendors. You know, I, I have folks that come to, and I I think you probably see it too with, with clients where they don't trust people to to do that, but you, you definitely have the trust, but not everybody has that. And so it it, it can be with employees, with vendors, with everything, having, you got to have that, that trust. Otherwise you're not letting that person deliver. No, it's true. You know, trust is, I think, uh, you know, is part of soft skills, working with people, clearly communicating. That doesn't mean you can't have uncomfortable conversations. You know, sometimes you have to have uncomfortable conversations, but, you know, you, you do it in a respectful manner and you do it knowing that it's always for the for the benefit of everyone. I, I really think that a great business and the business that is growing and the business that, you know, is got some real strong momentum and brand awareness is a business that's built by the owners slash managers on trust. You know, the, the clients have to trust you. The vendors have to trust you. You have to trust them. You have to trust, of course, uh, most importantly, your employees. I really do think I kind of look at my employees as as my customers a little bit. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, what else can I do to for them? And of course, you know, sometimes, you know, they, they can be a bit prima donna-ish and you have to kind of, you know, they, they know how I respond if I think it's kind of a, a bit over the top. But, you know, we talk often at our in our group chats or whether it's a texting about our core values. And I've created as we've grown, I've had to create more kind of more core values and rules, you know, which which is not really something that's in my nature being really more of a kind of a libertarian mindset, you know, but you do have to have, I kind of, I've had to learn as you grow and as you bring on staff members and as you're heading a direction, you do need a little bit more rules. You really emphasize that corporate culture 
whatever that means to you and your team, you have to really emphasize it and go back to that and make sure that everyone's following along those lines. Man, I had one situation where they were kind of just a bad apple and I let it get out of hand and never again. Right. So it's important that you stick to that. And because a bad apple will ruin trust and the vibe in your in your workplace faster than anything else. Yeah. And you certainly don't want them staying around too long. And no, uh, you got to You got to cut bait. You know, I, I find it really, really interesting that I mean, I am unafraid now, you know, to fire. Uh, if I have to fire, uh, you know, when we bring on someone, someone new, you know, we clearly, clearly lay it out that, you know, skill set is important, but attitude is so much more important. And I really need to know that they can that they can mesh together with the current team members, that they're bringing a positive attitude, positive, positive vibe, you know, and you know, unfortunately, uh, we have to let if, if it's if someone's not a great fit. It doesn't mean they're a bad person. We can still be friends. It just means that they're not ready to work with us or, and were we not a good fit for them? You know, of course I'll, I'll go to bat. I'll try to get them another job. I'll introduce them to other owners who might, who might be a better fit. You know, it, it doesn't make them a bad person. It just means it's, it's just not right for us. And it has to be going back to your phrase, a win-win. Yeah. But that's it. <laughs> you know, that's what you yeah. want. So well, awesome. I, I think that is, is so true. And especially we were speaking to the, the younger generation. I think it's of paramount importance to, to have that trust. And it, it creates a solid foundation that you can build from. And you even see it in restaurants being in commercial real estate. A lot of the businesses right now that I see thriving above all others is more of an artisanal craft all of those kinds of experiences and whether it's a service industry or a restaurant or whatever it is, if, if it has that, but I think it's built on trust. And if you don't have that authenticity and trust in, in real life, people can, people can see right through it now. Absolutely. Nowadays. You it feel will... it. You walk into a place and you know, right away, whether the employees like working there or it was just a, just terrible for them. So yeah, well, awesome that you obviously have have the secret sauce, but you you stated yourself that you're just continuing to to work on and continuing to to improve, and that's why I I did come up with with this podcast because I have found really the the entrepreneurs that are the most successful have that mindset of continuing to wanting to be better and, and perform better. And I can't wait to see what else is coming around the corner for you. Man, listen, I appreciate it so much. And of course, you know, I need, I need to give you a huge shout out because <laughs> I mean, that second location was, uh, was fantastic how we ended up closing that, you know, I, we won't mention names, but that other salesperson wasn't exactly, he wasn't helping the deal. You know, and so we had to step away for a second. Then we kind of got, we regrouped, uh, ended up closing that lady, you know, getting her, convincing her to sell to us. Uh, and then, of course, win a garden, right? I mean, that's fantastic. So you you put in tons of work, you know, and once again, you know, win-win with the vendors, win-win with the clients, win-win with the employees. You know, and I really feel like uh, you and I have really created something fantastic and you brought together a really, really outstanding set of services that have helped us. So thank you for that, Amy. You and your staff, much appreciated. Oh, thanks. thanks. It's been, you know, been working with people like you and really learning the needs. 
And and really, my entire brokerage is premised on the fact that there's always been this investor class. But I believe that all small businesses have the ability to cross the bridge to investor class and the the old school way of just having these tenant reps running around and keeping people beholden to to leasing instead of considering the option of buying. That was just a service I didn't receive back when I was working for my husband's small business. And so just really seeing that and just realizing what that there was a need for small businesses and then being able to curate a team and a, a set of solutions so that we can deliver, especially when we start to see people like you grow. It, it, it's so cool to see. And I, I just can't wait to keep applying this philosophy and methodology for lots of other business owners so that they can create wealth for their families for years to come. Well, you're doing an outstanding job to it and that's a hell of a mission statement. So keep it up because you're helping people. All right. Awesome. Well, thanks so much, Mike. And thanks to everyone for tuning in. My pleasure. Bye, Amy. All right. Bye.